Okay. Uh, Someone asked me why it is that I feel burdened to do this, to have these sessions. Um, And it links a little bit with, we were at a meeting this morning in the community hall in Cristo, and during the week, the Lord had really given me the word prepare. I suppose coming up from deep within. Prepare. You know there's a scripture in Ephesians. Perhaps we could begin with it. Um, Which is a very wonderful scripture in the second letter, uh, sorry, the second chapter of Ephesians and perhaps you're already familiar with the second of of Ephesians because it has the famous verse in it, um, but God, you know, in verse 4, but God who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. One of those verses that becomes very famous and verse 8, very famous, for by grace you're saved uh, through faith and that, that is the faith, is not of yourselves. It's not the salvation that's not of yourselves, it's the faith that's not of yourselves. Um, it's the gift of God. Wonderful when God gives you faith. And if I was to speak to you a little tonight about faith, of course, I would take you to Romans 10, another famous verse, where it says, Faith cometh. That's in the old version. Faith cometh. And can you remember the rest of the verse? By the hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word. How shall they hear? How shall faith come? Unless the word comes. And uh, part of my burden was that we should be the church should be prepared, that some of us should be prepared for what is coming. For the, for the powers that are becoming released. And someone again said to me this morning, I mentioned a Uh, a word of prophecy the Lord had given me almost exactly a year ago, uh, which I won't go into now. And this person came to me after the meeting and they said that back in 2000, the year 2000, the Lord had been speaking to him and a friend through a, a kind of vision that entering into the 2000s, 
would bring all kinds of things. And you know, I'm conscious that the church in general is not prepared. And I mentioned this to this person. And he said, I know. I know the church is not prepared, doesn't know how to meet truly, has just allowed itself to develop along wrong lines. And so very easily, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of the church in the 20th century in China. Some of you will know that in China, after the Second World War, when the Japanese were beaten, you know, Manchuria, and you, some of you will know about uh, Chiang Kai-shek, uh, the nationalists, the Chinese nationalists, and Mao Zedong, um, the communists, and how Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists basically ended up in uh, Formosa, as it was called, the island which you now know as Taiwan. And in mainland China, of course, Mao Zedong took uh, full control, brought unity in China in a way that it had never been before under the iron fist of communism and easily infiltrated the denominational churches, chased the missionaries out, in quick time, easily infiltrated the mainline mainline denominations. Some of the Roman Catholic priests resisted. So in 1947, when um, Mao Zedong took over, uh, you, you understand that there were many martyred people, some of, some of them Roman Catholic priests, who would not bow the knee. And But the mainline denominations rapidly collapsed because, of course, there was this incorporation that Mao didn't forbid Christianity. He just incorporated the churches. He infiltrated the hierarchies of the churches and weakened them, these men, and women kowtowed, which of course is Chinese, to the to kowtow to to the authorities, and uh, an, a weakened, compromised message. And these churches became the three self churches, which exist today. And the things that he had difficulty getting into and getting control of were the house churches, the groups that were under, had come into being through the ministry of John Song and Watchman Nee, and um, there were other men, one or two of whom I met uh, when I was much younger, and I remember taking a conference in Canada back in 1978, and my, I was the co-speaker with one of Watchman Nee's co-workers, very old. Incidentally, he's still alive. Um, he's uh, about 105 years old now. 
and uh, just married again for the third time. Um, (laughs) His name's Stephen Kong. But they knew God and they gathered together. And if you want to know how the churches in under in those days, in the 20s, 30s, early 40s, developed. Uh, they were called the Daigar, which is the little flock. And the way that they multiplied was that some of the families had a burden for a town maybe 50 miles or 100 miles away in China. And so they prayed about it and four or five families moved to that town. Almost like a mobile church and they began and that's how the church is multiplied. But because they had no uh, leadership that was kind of uh, centralized in some headquarters, it was very difficult to infiltrate. And uh, so they, and a lot of the house church work began to spring out of that, that you'll have heard of the house churches. And in my times in China with my wife, I've often been involved, and I was mentioning this morning, where there are these little groups and uh, it's quite amazing Uh, just to see it. And there also, Mao Zedong had difficulty infiltrating what were called the Jesus family groups. I don't know whether you've ever heard of the Jesus family groups. And these were communities. So they lived community. Uh, They lived communally. They had their own land. They cooked their own, they grew their own food. Uh, They cooked their own food. They taught their own children. Very hard for them to be infiltrated. And then, of course, what happened with some of the little flock, they, I don't remember, can you, any of you read a book called A Stone Made Smooth? Ever read a book? Anyway, by one, that's about one of the leaders that was with Watchman Nee who was brainwashed and, well, he, he fell into, he renounced the faith and then even signed documents and, um, and then he realized what he'd done and uh, basically went back into prison. He recanted his recantation, went back into prison for the rest of his life. And it's these kinds of days that in my spirit I've been seeing coming for 20 years. Uh, Not a hard communism, but a subtle a thing coming in that will, and some of you will possibly know that um, in the United States that there is a, a great pressure to close the churches down, to prevent the churches meeting, uh, that has come to the surface more and more. 
and different ministers are doing different things. I won't go into it. And it's almost as though we need to be prepared because God's ways for his church are not complex. God's ways are simple. In fact, the simple gifting that he gives to his church that it may be sustained, it comes by the Spirit in simplicity so that the church can not only um, exist but flourish and grow and the testimony become clearer. The church has allowed itself to become very compromised over the last 30 or 40 years. The fire that was in the workings of God in the 60s and 70s became very much cooled and was replaced by many things in the late 70s, 80s, 90s and into uh, the... And so probably in these days the places that you will find real church are more likely to be the places where there is a measure of persecution already. And, you know, we've, we shy away from these things. But uh, we must become prepared. And I speak these things because I know that sometimes to one young man who has a heart for God, he can listen to a CD on YouTube and it can be revelation to his heart. And he will see something from God about what real church is. That it's not this public show. He will see something and carry it with him. Anything that I say is not new. I owe it to prophets and apostles that I've read and I've known. The truth carries through the generations. You can skip listening to a lot of teachers. They have nothing to say, particularly. But what we need is that upon which the foundation of the church is established. And it is established according to this very chapter. If you look down... Uh, you'll find that it talks about the, the church and being built, verse 20, chapter 2, upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And if you want to know the distinction between teachers And prophets and apostles. The prophets and apostles are not simply only apostles and prophets. They also are teachers. But all teachers are not apostles and prophets. All evangelists are not all teachers. They're not all apostles and prophets. The thing 
that marks out the apostolic and prophetic ministry is that it is a ministry that comes directly from God by revelation. It is it was revealed so that if you go into the third chapter of Ephesians here, you'll find that Paul talks and he says this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me, you the dispensation of the grace of God that was given to me for you not for me myself but given to me for you it was a dispensation of the grace of God the word dispensation is the Greek word ekonomia from which we get it's to do with the economy of the running of the house. The economy, it's to do with the running of God's house. Every house. And Paul was given a dispensation, a particular role in the churches in those days. By the grace of God, he was given it, given to me for you given to me for you. When I first passed into the things of the Lord in the Spirit, I would travel all over this country to try and listen to men. Men, some of whom were famous. Some from the United States. And sometimes when a man opened his mouth, I knew he had nothing to say. And sometimes when I heard another man open his mouth, I knew this was coming from God. This was coming from, I needed to listen. I needed to hear. I needed to embrace. And sometimes through those men, I learned of other men who'd written books and men of former generations who in whom that same stream and Paul says about this dispensation of the grace of God that was given to me for you how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and and prophets. Amen. And then he says a little more about the mystery of the one body. You know that uh, the thing he's talked about a little bit um, in chapter 2, the grace that's come to the Gentiles who were far off and the Jews who were near and the Lord has broken down the 
the wall of partition between them and made one body, not a Jewish body and a Gentile body, but one body in Christ with one head, baptized in one spirit, having one life manifested in one way. Amen. And these are very simple and wonderful things that we are of one Father. We have one DNA, we could say. And Paul says that this was revealed to him. Revelation is an unveiling. I'll I'll illustrate in an amusing way. Um, I was, my wife and I were last evening spent an hour or two talking to some people in the United States, in Washington State. And, um, you know, their daughter just got married. And she's a very vivacious young woman. And, um, you know, very happy-go-lucky. You wouldn't call her a political animal at all. Not remotely. And, of course, the political things really sort of on the airwaves over there. And anyway, the, this, the parents said to Hazel and I, oh, Ali, that's, that's the daughter, Ali had an epiphany yesterday, uh, last week, had an epiphany, uh, a manifestation, saw something. I said, oh, what was that? Hoping it was something of the things of God, you see. And uh, as I say, she's not a political animal at all. And she said, they said to me, well, suddenly she was listening to the debate between Biden and Trump. And she had an epiphany. Biden is lying. (laughs) And, uh, of course, I had a chuckle about this, you know. But suddenly she saw something beyond her mind. It's a little bit like, I don't know if you're familiar, of course, with the, I'm sure you are, how that amazing Jewish scientist came up with his, who am I talking about? Einstein. How he came up with his amazing revelation. And he'd been thinking, thinking, this, that, the other. And suddenly, An epiphany. He testifies to it. It all went... And that's what, of course, happened to Paul. From God. About what God was doing in Jesus Christ. He was a man of the book. He loved the Old Testament. He calls it the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians 3. And uh, he would have read it and then the Spirit revealed. And it's a wonderful thing. And this is one of the reasons, of course, why um, dear John, the, you know, the John the Apostle, and he saw what we call the book of the Revelation. 
I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day. And we won't get to this for a few weeks, but I want to talk about meetings and things like that. I want to talk about how the gifts work in us. Because there's a lot of abuse and misuse and non-use. And often the non-use is because of abuse and misuse. And seldom have some of us ever seen the wonder of proper use. Proper use. The tools. This morning, brother here was talking about the tools in the shed. Um, You know, and part of the tools of God's Spirit are the things we call the gifts of the Spirit. And he's going to talk about them in this letter, you see. But we we have to get this clear, you see. If I just put your eye in chapter 2 here of Ephesians, you you notice how it starts. You you just do this, the logic of truth. So here's chapter 2, you were dead. You were dead. In trespasses and sins. That was your habitat. That's where you lived. You were dead. Walking according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works. Now works in the sons of disobedience. I know we don't want to sort of particularly face sometimes these things. But when you look at a politician, understand that there's a spirit working in him. Or her. Forget about party politics, left or right. Understand that in university lecturers, especially in places of high-mindedness, it's not just clever minds operating. There's an agenda. And it's working. And even when you look at some art, I have a friend named Norman Meaton. And uh, one time... I was talking because I know a bit about the structure of music because I was musically trained. And I know a little bit about rogue chords and things that elicit things to the soul. So I know that there are certain chord structures, many of them utilized today, that awaken the human soul, not the spirit, human soul. And there's certain art on the sleeves of the old vinyl LPs. And they said, not. and Norman, we had a long session. He, we were together in a place and I was doing a series on theology and music. And he was speaking a bit about art. And so there were things. And he, he showed me things in pictures. And I saw the devil there. I'd been looking at this picture and I never see the devil there. 
And then he pointed it out and I could see the devil just like that. I could see the devil. I could see the devil's work. I could see the devil's horns. I could see the images that were there. And he, as an artist uh, by background, recognized those things. A spirit working in artists. If you know anything about music, you know that in certain... Why did Hitler, in whom evil spirits were working, love Wagner? And so it goes on. The spirit that works, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's how the chapter begins. It's wonderful. And we all, now he's talking, you notice in verse 3, he's in the we. He's talking about we Jews. We all walk. We all, the desires of the flesh, the lusts of our flesh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind were by nature children of wrath. You know, explains why this latent anger is, is emerging big time. I was driving home from this meeting two weeks ago, the last one we had, and uh, I got uh, overtaken. I was going at the legal limit, you know, that curvy road from Newton to Tynmouth, you know. And there was these guys that were, what do you call it, um, coming up the back of you real close, uh, tailgating. And uh, they were up behind me and and then uh, you could feel their anger that I was not going as fast as they wanted and I'm drive in this thing that you don't swing round bends in Fiat Doblos. But, uh, <laughs> um, and then it overtook me on solid lines, in blind corners, their anger. Someone coming the other way, that had been a head on. The anger, it's latent, it's there, it's in the, it's in the stores, it's in the, isn't it? And, Sons of disobedience, children of wrath. And then you get this lovely word, don't you, but God. (laughs) He saved us, brought us into another realm, raised us up together. Come on, people of God, up out of this. (laughs) You know, out of this, let me deliver you from that spirit that works where you were living. Come on, raised us up together with Christ. Nothing of salvation's power will work in your eye except on the basis of a vibrant, living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all in him. It's all in him. You know, Jesus is your saviour from beginning to end. And he saves everyone who's in him. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful... That's why relationship with him, by the Spirit, and through him with the Father, is what saves. It's him who saves. You know, I I would encourage you very, very much. You know, I said to a man in much need... Oh, it was on the phone. I said to him, 
Oh, brother, put your Bible down. Try and be quiet and just look at Jesus. Just try and look at Jesus. Consider him. And I said, you know there's healing for your mind. It's there. It's in him. There's healing for your tortured soul. It's in him. I am the Lord that heals you. With unveiled face. Looking at him. Looking at him. Looking at him. There's healing for you. There's healing for the imbalances of our minds. For everything, you know. But God, who's rich in mercy, (laughs) because of his great love, wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead, you know, he made us alive together with Christ. And you know, isn't it a revelation? I will tell you this, my brother and sister. There's revelation upon revelation in the face of Jesus Christ. The Spirit wants to reveal Christ to you more and more. So that your heart will burn within you. And your heart will leap for joy and your worries you will leave behind. Amen. And you'll get up and three minutes of quiet with the Lord even if you're driving your tractor and somehow your heart's gone free. (laughs) That's right. And this this is day by day. I'm talking about, and then he he says it made us sit together, and you know, these verses, I'm rushing through them, and then it says in verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, you know, unto good works, is that right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that tremendous? I touched on this. uh, The double preparation that's in that verse. You, what's happening to my life? Why has this come? Why the virus? (laughs) You know, why? Why did I lose my job? Why, 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 why? Well, he's preparing you. You're created in Christ Jesus. Under good works. And he's preparing the works. He's preparing the works. He's preparing you for the works and the works for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What have we got to be anxious about? Yield ourselves up to him. Our struggle is coming into the light. Out of the bleak, bleary, misty confusions 
of our minds and coming up into this light. Oh, Father, you have prepared things for me. Isn't that wonderful to be at the end or toward the end of your life as some of us are? Yes, I think tonight I'm the oldest person in the room. And, uh, you know, isn't it wonderful to look ahead and say, Oh, Father, you still got works prepared for me to do. And you've been making me ready for them. So it all fits. Amen. I think of a couple who live up in Wales. Never found their niche, niche, niche. Anyway, you know the word. And, uh, you know, they were in this place and they tried that and they were there. And then neither of them had degrees, one in nursing, the other one no degree at all. And then suddenly the Lord opened up a place. It was in China of all places. And he became the headmaster of this school and she became the deputy head. They'd never talked before in their life and we went to visit them every year for about 10 years. Spend a little time with them. And of course they became involved. I won't say lots because of the tape or recording. But... (laughs) I remember saying to them, oh, at last you're round pegs in a round hole. It's as though God had just prepared them for that. And there they were. Naturally ill-prepared, spiritually perfectly prepared. All that had gone before (laughs) had been had contributed to what they were and they slotted in there before they'd been round pegs in square holes or square pegs in round holes or however way you want to put it. Isn't it wonderful, God's ways? And this isn't just for way in the future. This is now. This is now. The double preparation. Is, is going on. This is, this is the outworking of the great salvation that he's talked about. By grace you're saved. <laughs> and this is, this is the wonder of it. You know, unto these good works, the future beckons, brothers and sisters. The future beckons. Nothing in your past will prove useless. Hallelujah. Oh, the blessed disciplines of the ordinary. You know. Do you know at a time in my own life when I had the joy, I'd, I'd been reading this book, I, I was in my place of employment, I loved my work in the timber business, and uh, I never took lunch, for a number of years I had a foul mouth when I began working in that place. I smoked like a chimney. I did all those things. And then God really met me and changed me. And I would spend my lunch hours reading this book 
behind a pile of wood a whole hour my lunch break and I would read the scripture and read the scripture I have no memory at all of anything except I was beginning to know a little bit in the scripture I had no memory of God ever speaking to me or this or that and I read and I read and my mouth my language was cleaned up the smoking went out the window and the other things you do in bars and places and it all went and then to my shock and amazement the Lord said to me leave your job and go to Bible college I knew I didn't need to do that as far as studies was concerned I knew that but God said so I went and of course I met my wife there uh, and I had time there and I read books there and I met men there Um, uh, there was apostles I met who had meetings in Glasgow where we were and I went and listened and I knew they came from God. And then, sorry to talk about myself, I didn't mean to do this, but do you know, our marriage had to be put off for 12 months because of an accident. My wife was driving the car. Three people were killed in the accident, including her father. And these things happened, tragedy entered in and I flew across to Northern Ireland where the accident happened and saw her and she was in hospital all banged up and her sister was in hospital and her mother was in another hospital and dad was dead and two people in the other car were dead and the other car wasn't insured, there's going to be no money blah 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 and the people driving the other car were in the IRA and blah 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 right tragedy and I came to the end of my time she never went back to college Uh, I finished my time at college and I went back to a farm in Northern Ireland she lived in the Republic and I had weeks of quiet and I slept in a room in the farm with a man, a young man who'd come in drunk every night about one o'clock in the morning we shared the room and he'd come in but in order for me to earn my keep in that farm I had the joy of cleaning hundreds and hundreds and and thousands of chicken dunged eggs and I had the joy of doing this four hours every morning collecting the eggs of the battery hens covered with their dung and having the spinning wheel and uh, you know buffing these eggs against the spinning wheel cleaning all the dirt off and I had a lovely companion with me all the time whose name was Bobby, who was a dog. 
a pointer. And dear Bobby would uh, sit beside me waiting for the event (laughs) where an egg would break all up my pinafore that I wore and I'd turn to Bobby and he would stand on me and lick all the air off me. (laughs) Oh, the joy. And then I had the joy of going back to my room after some food with the lady of the house and spending three or four hours in the book and God gave me revelation. He he helped me to see. It was like I entered into a flood of seeing the unity that's here and seeing something of the heart of God. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. So God prepares you know, with the disciplines of the ordinary. I wasn't fed up with cleaning eggs and the others would say, oh, boring, boring. It wasn't boring at all. I was with God. And, all right, I needed to see. I needed to see. I needed to see. Because God knew what he was going to do with me and what I needed to be. And the ministry that I needed to have. So that these things flame up within you. And you're prepared to die for them. And suffer for them. Because they're God given. And this is what needs to be passed on. It needs to be passed on. It's been passed on. I well remember a, 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 a meeting up there in Reading some years ago and God granted a vision God speaks through visions a vision isn't some sort of inflated imagination this is something that is God given, it comes from the spirit and there was a young man and he was sat on the floor with his Bible open and a shaft of light was coming down upon him and he was reading The rest was darkness right all around him. And he was living in this, he was dwelling in this joy of reading his Bible. And then he got up, he stood. And he had his Bible in his hand. And as he stood, light began to shine a bit further to left and right. And in front and behind. And blood began to drip from the Bible in the vision. And this was the vision. And, and then the interpretation came. Come. There is a young man here and you're loving the Bible. You're sitting there in the light. You're just enjoying it in the quietness. You're happy there. You must stand. God wants you to stand. Wants you to rise up. You understand that there's going to be suffering. That those who truly minister the Lord's word. This is a blood-soaked book. God is calling you. And so the Lord spoke. Next week, the young man, a young man came to me. And he said, do you remember that vision you gave last week? That was me. 
I've applied. I'm leaving my job. I'm going to prepare myself to serve. And that's what he did. And he got into what God wanted. And today he's a servant of the Lord. Hallelujah. Revelation. Calling. Understanding. You see, and you understand these things. Even in the sequence of Ephesians 2. You were. God but God came in. And saved you. You are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. That he has before ordained. That you should walk in them. <clears throat> and then the, the chapter climaxes. Doesn't it? That uh, we. Uh, now. You're in Christ Jesus. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's our peace. He's made both the Jew and the Gentile one. Making peace. One body. Reconciling them both to God. This is the church, my brothers and sisters. I'm not here to bring you to heaven Of course not. We're not here primarily to preach a gospel of of do this, do that, believe this, believe that. Jesus came to bring us to God. And the church is on earth to bring people to God, to bring God to people and the people to God. Bring us to God. Jesus came for that. And that is really, I suppose, what my burden would be to help you see God at work in your lives. And those that may hear these things, dear old old Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I love this story. There once was a swagman camped by a billabong. Under the shade of the coolie bar tree. You think Bernard's gone mad. Singing Walsing Matilda. Why do I turn to that? Because there were faithful people who would listen to Charles Haddon Spurgeon preach on a Sunday morning. And with their kind of shorthand, they'd make his sermon into... And it would be published that night. And they went out all over the world. And there once was a swag man. Camped by a billabong under the shade of a coolie bar tree. And there under the coolie bar tree was a dirty old copy of one of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's sermons that he'd preached earlier. Hallelujah. And he read it. He read it. And he got saved. And he became one of the key ministers in Melbourne. The revelation that poured into Spurgeon. The understanding that God gave him. And the gospel he preached. And the appeals that he made. And the faithful ones who took his sermons down. And they went out all over the world. Hallelujah. I've met old Christian men. In Asia. Oh men, 
How did you come to the Lord? Oh, I heard John Sung preach. His voice came from heaven. It spoke through all my Shintoism, ancestor worship, and I was saved. It's tremendous. He brought God to me. He brought God to me. That he might bring us to God. This is what it says. He has reconciled, verse 16, chapter 2, them both to God. The both is the Jew and the Gentiles. Reconciled both to God in one body through the cross. And mark this clearly. There's only ever one body through the cross. Through the cross. If you don't let the cross life work in you, you'll never be one. That's how oneness is. It comes about through the cross. And he's put to death the enmity and he's come and to preach peace to you who were far off, that's us Gentiles, and to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Oh, there's another spirit working in us. At the beginning of the chapter, there was another spirit. Is that right? Are you you seeing my logic in this? There was another spirit. The spirit of the that now works in the children of disobedience. The spirit of wickedness was working in us. Now there's another spirit working in us. He saved us. He saved us. Given us another spirit. Let that spirit work in you. What a a source of rejoicing it is. And then the, the chapter climaxes, doesn't it? In that in whom you are being made a dwelling place in of God in the Spirit. You, you see the, the beginning of the chapter contrast it with the end of the chapter. Here's a sermon for those of you who want to develop it. And you know some of us could spend a week every night on that chapter every wonderful verse of it we start dead and we end the chapter (laughs) you know (laughs) build it together as a dwelling place of God in the spirit this is what church is a dwelling place of God in the spirit What could be more wonderful? I'm sure you've seen the beautiful Baroque churches, Prague or Bielsko or different places in Central Europe. Beautiful churches and places stone upon stone. And let them be just a pattern to you of what God wants to do with you and me and Build us a habitation of God in the Spirit. You're the living stones. I'm the living stones. And that's where you come back into 1 Corinthians and uh, the building, you know, 
the building, because in chapter 3, you know, Paul is going to be on the theme of building, isn't he? You probably know it. I hope so. But, um, you know, he he's talked about the Spirit in chapter 2. He's introduced the Spirit. I touched the other week on the fact that it all begins with God, that's the Father, and it's all done through the Son. And he doesn't mention the, the Spirit in chapter 1 at all. And then as he begins to come further in, he begins to talk about the Spirit, the Spirit's education, the Spirit's revelation, the Spirit's instruction. You know, these are the things that he talks about. And then, you know, he he kind of, in his logic, he's moved along. And he talks about these, these men you know in verse 14 of chapter 2, if you put your eye there, and the, the natural man, he classifies people into three types. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, the natural man. And the word there is the sukikos man, the man of the soul, the man who doesn't have the spirit. He doesn't receive the things of the spirit of God. Adam was a natural man. The first man, Adam, you know, he was a natural man. But he was without sin. And his soul, Adam's soul, was a wonderful place. His spirit was not unclean. He had not sinned. But his soul, with all its powers, which include the intellect and the imagination, the affections, his, his inward heart, you know, this natural man without sin. To him, his soul was alert to God because his spirit was untrammeled through his soul. Soul is spirit in body. Soul is spirit in body. You say, Bernard, where do you get that from? God formed man of the moist dust of the ground. And there the body lay. And God breathed into his nostrils, inspirited through the nostrils, gave spirit to body, and Adam became a living soul. Spirit in body becomes soul. And Adam's soul was a glorious place because his spirit was not unhinged, not defiled. He had not sinned. 
So the powers of his soul were at the behest of spirit, the communion. And we do not know how often God had come down in the cool of the day, in the wind of the day, in the breath of the day to commune with his man. But because Adam was such a clear person, he he exercised the word of wisdom and discerned the nature of fox and elephant and named the creatures, didn't he? He was a prophet and he discerned their natures and spoke the word and so they were. At this point he never sweated, perhaps because he was in the image of God, it could be that he said to this tree, be thou removed, and it was removed. Perhaps he tended the garden by the power of the word, because in the image of God, and you know, those things that we call the gifts of the Spirit were natural to Adam. There was no need for the gift of tongues because they understood. Very wonderful. And then we know what happened to Adam and his wife. And all that glory, all that glory, You know that he was clothed in glory, don't you? He was naked, but he didn't know he was naked because he was clothed in glory and his wife was clothed in glory. This is the destiny of man, not to be clothed in shame. That's the thing. You you and I were destined for glory. That's, That's the destiny of man. That's why Jesus... When he, the sinless one, lived on this earth for a moment or an hour on the mount, three of his disciples saw diffusing through his flesh the glory of his inward states, the glory of a spirit in communion with his Father, diffusing through his soul and through his body. Am I making sense? And the glory, and so that even his clothing shone with the luster. More white than any detergent could make it. Glory, glory. This all should tell you that when the glorious Jesus comes in his glory and you and I are resurrected and given our bodies of glory, then shall the sons of God stand forth in their glory and the new heavens and earth and every part of it will glow with its appropriate glory. The stones will glow The trees will glow. Everything shall be alive in its glory. Then shall we see the trees as they really are meant to be. Then shall we see the creatures in their glory. Yes, 
is something to look forward to, isn't it? Now we see through a glass dimly, now only in part. Now we still carry with us our shame in the lines of our faces. We become decrepit with the years. Don't we? You understand. And all oh, what Adam lost. But what is gained in Jesus is more wonderful than what Adam lost. That's the truth of it. But when Adam fell, then everything about his soul powers fell. His powers of discernment fell. What we call psychic powers nowadays. His powers that some businessman in London where I used to work would call gutter sense. Gutter sense. A sixth sense in the business world. Everything fell. Everything fell. The mind of man fell. Every power of the soul fell and only those who really looked to God momentarily could write a line of poetry that had a measure of purity in it. And only a composer who who was humbled before God could write a symphony that wasn't dirted by his soul. So what was it that Mr... You know, Bach used to write on all his music. He knew God to the glory of God, to the glory of God. His music is so musically pure and the structures of the chords and the developments of things anyway. I won't go into that. But you see, only those who turn to God. Hallelujah, the scientist. You know about the black scientist who who discovered about the peanut, if you know anything about him, where their minds became the avenue of God in the spirit. You understand what I'm trying to say? The psychic man. And I have to say this to you. And I do so with regret. I wish I didn't have to say it. There are things that operate and masquerade as gifts of the spirit that are just psychic powers. In the churches. They masquerade. They appear. There are powers of discernment. I will tell you a story from some years back where I was preaching in a certain place. Doing a weekend and there was a man and his wife who were youth with the mission leaders. And they were in the meetings and they were staying in the same house. It was a large house. And the pastor of the church asked me if I would be prepared with this leader 
to talk to a needy man on the Saturday afternoon. So I agreed and I sat there with this needy young man and with this man from YWAM. The man from YWAM took over the whole proceedings and proceeded to discern the young man and to say this and say that and say the other and you could see the young man shrink before your eyes, before the plethora of knowledge that was coming out. I said virtually nothing and uh, we prayed, the meeting finished, the young man left and then I sat and I looked at this leader from YWAM I said you understand that every bit of what you did today was not the Holy Ghost it was psychic I will tell you how you got your knowledge and you have developed it over years and probably brother you had these powers before you ever came to Jesus where you could read people I said, when you move around in the meetings, you have your antennae out. And you're picking up the things. You think it's God. It's the powers of your own soul. You're psychic. My brother, you need to repent. These are not powers that come from on high. I said to him, true knowledge, true discernment comes from deep in the inner man of you where you dwell in love in Christ and you love the people you're talking to and you're moving amongst and you're preaching to and you're not an expert in knowledge and you're not an expert in discernment. You are a broken vessel. It comes from down here in the innermost bowels of you to use an old word. The place of the bowels of you. That's where revelation comes from. You don't have to live with your your antennae out picking up information. You have to learn to love and live in the spirit. And so I said to this man these things. And he said, I know I'm psychic. I don't care. I think it's all right. That was it. Serious. Really serious. And then I take you to another country just recently well not this year because we've hardly been anywhere but the pastor said to me there is a man in my church and he's recently come in he's an older man would you see him after the meeting yes and so we sat the three of us the pastor and myself and this man had been disturbing the church 
Can you imagine this? Because he'd been going to sister (laughs) so-and-so, sorry pointing you out, but you know, and saying, you understand that you have this and that and the other, isn't that right? You've got to sort this out. And and so he was generating fear and parading knowledge over, over people and this, and attempting to prophesy over them and, you know, this kind of thing. And it was disturbing the church and people were becoming afraid. They were afraid of going to the meetings because there might be some prophetic discerning word over them. And the pastor was disturbed about it. What do I do? We sat and we talked. And I said to him, how long have you had these powers? I said, tell me about your mother or your grandmother, will you? Were they involved in, in uh, Chinese uh, ancestor worship big time? Did they have powers? Probably they did. Is that right? He said yes. And I said you've had these powers since a child haven't you? Yes. I said you understand that these don't come from God. This is entirely coming from your own soul and in your case, my brother, you're perilously near having a wrong spirit. You're perilous because if you develop these things more and more, a wrong spirit will come in. And so we talked Are you prepared to repent? He said, no. No. I will not repent. I think this is all right. He didn't last long in the church. In the end, they had to put him out. It's the powers of the soul, the psychic man. The psychic man. Receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. And Paul has to talk this way because he knows that a lot of the Corinthian Christians had come from this background. They'd, they'd been followers of false prophets who had powers. And these things are not understood enough. And unfortunately... These things can masquerade in Pentecostal circles and so on so that people shy away from the things that are truly from God. It is very wonderful to see a word of knowledge. I'll tell you a story. comes back to my mind again from another country. And I didn't make an appeal, I was, be, I was preaching through an interpreter. And there were so many people came out the front, it was a very big church. And of course I didn't want to go down amongst the people, because I knew what would happen. They'd start falling over, because that was their tradition. And I know that's not real. And they wanted me to pray and I said to some of them, if you speak English, let you, I want to tell you, do not fall over. Some of them fell over anyway. 
But I came to this one lady and I looked at her and I knew something. And I went to her and I singled her out and she spoke English. And I put my arms around her and I said, let me tell you your sin." And I whispered in her ears her sin. And she fell on the floor, collapsed, a genuine falling on the floor. And everybody thought it was wonderful and I don't know what. And I got down and knelt beside her and I whispered in her ear, my dear, In the name of Jesus, he who knows all your sin says to you, you are forgiven, totally forgiven. Something happened to her, I shall never forget it. All the heaviness went away from her face. She lay there, her face changed. And she found strength to, to rise up. She stood there with glory on her face. Hands in the air. I'm forgiven. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm forgiven. That's real. That's love working. That's, that's the real, coming from the deeps. Coming from the deeps. That's the spirit. The spiritual man. We must learn to live in and habituate the spirit. Make him comfortable. Amen. Let his quickenings come to us. And those things, this is not something we conjure up out of our own mind. I tell you, love. And to love will be given the tools necessary for them to fulfill. You understand? To fulfill what they are to fulfill. Don't go seeking for knowledge. Don't go around in any way trying to develop antennae. Don't. Go and love. And to love will be given. These things. As they are needed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So many stories we could say about these things but this is the the contrast between the psychic man the, and the psychic operations and sometimes you know I look further down in this in this uh, into the third chapter and of course you know that Paul in the end of the second he talks about the spiritual man I think it's 14 times in 1 Corinthians he uses the word spiritual 
spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. The man, the woman, who's more and more living in a sweet companionship with the Lord. But he mentions another kind of man. So you've got the psychic man, the psychikos man. You've got the spiritual man. How many of us are affected by the things that we naturally have been raised in? You know, still, still somewhat natural. You know, still dominated. I hope that the Lord is setting you free from those things. Anyway, you meet a third kind of man. I couldn't, I brethren, could not speak to you, verse 1 of chapter 3, as to spiritual people. The word people isn't there. You know, it's simply as to spirituals. But as to carnal, as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Another kind of man is carnal. This is the word sarkikos, of the flesh, of the flesh, um, of the flesh. Hmm. Affected much by things that are outward, how they affect your flesh. You get excited by certain kinds of preaching, maybe, on the flesh. Perhaps a, 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 a great orator, and he affects you. You know that was going on, wasn't it, in the days of Hitler, wasn't it? I expect some of you have watched as the flesh, German flesh was acted upon by a man of the flesh who was in league with spirits. And through his incredible oratory, he swayed multitudes to do the most terrible acts of atrocity. You see, a man of the flesh, it was outward, the music, everything that was geared, you know, the all the things that they did, orchestrated, manipulated, you know, the flesh. I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual, but as to people of the flesh. I, I fed you with, with milk, uh, not with meat. You're, you, you weren't able to receive it, and you're still not able. Verse 3, for you're still in the flesh, because... You're all affected by the outward. You know, Apollos is a great speaker and I, Paul, aren't such a good speaker. You know, and you're, you're, you've got divided up into all of these external things. You know, I, I hesitate. I, I don't want to talk about these things, but the churches... I can almost see it happening and have done through these latter years. Having tasted the ways of the Spirit and the glory that comes, <clears throat> you have an instant aversion to the manipulation that comes from the stage. 
by a preacher or a musician. Of the flesh. It feeds the flesh. Where it comes from is where it goes to. Do you mind me illustrating this? And the time is almost gone. But here's a, a church, a big one, in a certain country. There's so many people, they have to divide into two different congregations. I'm scheduled to speak in both meetings. The first congregation comes in. It's an eight o'clock service in the morning. It lasts for two to two and a half hours. The musicians tune up and begin. And they are led by a certain song leader, whatever you call them. And away they went through their set, well prepared. And it was so unbelievably carnal. There was nothing of the spirit in it at all. But people got excited. The exhortations between the songs were just the same old, same old. But there was nothing of the spirit in it. The service ended, etc., etc. The second service begins. New congregation, same band, different song leader. Very humble man, older man. As soon as he opened his mouth, different spirit. They went through the same set of music, but he was the leader. And he brought the spirit in. A humble man. Not a man of the flesh. Not a man who was sort of exulting on doing, you know, pogoing as he was singing. And if you know what pogoing is. You ever seen pogoing? Anyway. Um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> different. Different. I couldn't speak to you. Paul says to them as, as spiritual but as carnal. You, you're excited by things. You're still yet in this and you're, you're in this divisive mode. You're not in the largeness of the heart of God. You're in your exclusive sort of states. You know, this is my preacher. Oh no, this is my preacher. This is my band. I'm hearing this everywhere. I'm sorry to say. I travel and in the United States I hear it everywhere my especially among the young not the older ones so much but the young and you can hardly say a word you see carnal carnal and this all connects up with building of course because Paul is going to refer you know, to himself and Apollos and Cephas, verse 5, he, he says, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But uh, ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave 
to each one I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. Paul's going to write some lovely things here. We need to take a week in chapter 3 and just look at the, the working. You know, the, the way that Paul saw it. Oh, my brother Apollos. <laughs> He's been watering, watering. I came first, he says, I, I planted. I planted. That's what Paul says. I planted. You know, Apollos came along. Uh, there's no jealousy. There's, there's nothing carnal like that. There's no, well, and look at what I did. So don't you be like that, he says to the Corinthians. Don't you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. That's, just, that's, that's baby talk, that's just carnal. Don't stay, everyone has to pass through baby talk. It's whether they'll grow through it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the issue, isn't it? You with your own children, perhaps, as you look at your children and you see this amazing transition that takes place in them as they as they grow and they grow from the baby and they you know into a and it's wonderful to to, to see that <clears throat> hallelujah hallelujah carnal men carnal women in the church are all babies carnal well it seems so from what paul says they all are. And so we bear. You bear with your babies, don't you? When you're, they were young, you bore with them. And then you help them and God worked to grow them up. And so they left the childish things and they were no longer those who were <coughs> carnal. Still affected a great deal. You know, by the things that are around about them. You know, whether, you know, I hope that you got over holding a post-mortem on meetings. Did you, did you get past that? Oh, that was a good music. Wasn't the, the music great? Oh, the preacher was fantastic, wasn't he? Wow. I hope you got through all that and you're beginning to be spiritual and recognize what came from God's heart in the meeting. And what comes from God's heart can come from the least in the meeting. You learn to listen to what's coming from God's loving heart. So that you begin to rejoice in one another. Like I rejoiced this morning as I heard people saying this and saying that. And you know, and there was a kind of whole about it. And so you don't measure this or measure that and say, oh, you know. And neither do you measure yourself. 
And you get quite beyond, well, I was good tonight. (laughs) You get quite beyond that. Because you're the same. You're the same every day. And you, you know, you're no longer affected by, you know, the mood of the day. You get me? That's carnality. Being affected by the things of the flesh. You know, and whether he looked at you, I can always remember that uh, there was a very, a a man very dear to me, and uh, his wife used to be in our church. And he was often away preaching, and I had a lot to do with him, and I suppose he was the man I respected most of all. And his wife used to sit in the meetings with a face of stone as I was preaching a face of stone I'm not exaggerating I don't know whether your faces are faces of stone because they're hidden behind masks (laughs) but you know I got a shock because uh, her husband was home from one of his trips and he gave me a bell he said, Bernard, would you come round? I've been listening to some of your cassettes. That tells you how long ago it was. You, you've been doing this series on the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. She told me that I should listen to them, that I'd learn something. <laughs> so I went round and we had a couple of hours and lovely fellowship talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So her face of stone didn't mean a thing. You know, you can get affected by these things. You know, man of the flesh, you know, perhaps I was being a bit carnal, being affected by things outward. God's always the same. Hallelujah. Well, lest I go on for another hour in chapter 3, I'll close my Bible. But I hope this is helpful to us. And I, I don't like talking about things psychic and things carnal. You wish you didn't have to say it. But if we're to understand the wonderful things of God's Spirit and where they come from, that's why Paul says, Ah, let me show you a more excellent way and then he talks about love and you must never think that our Lord Jesus ever woke in the morning and sort of thought or the father said to him you're going to meet a woman at the well and just to let you know beforehand that she's had a a plethora of husbands and the man she's living with is not her husband uh, and you've got that right son so when you meet her you're prepared no just loved her loved her was far above racial distinctions I hope black lives matter you haven't got caught up in that one You know that you've gone beyond that sort of idea of skin and all that stuff. 
You know that you love them. In fact, I'm more likely if I see a crowd to go to the black person first. Or if I see a a crowd, I'll go to the Asian person first. (laughs) Yeah. You know, love them. Love, love, love. And this is so vital. And to love will be given what it needs. You know, Jesus loved her. Jesus looked at that face and he knew her heart. She knew she'd been seeking waters. The way many, many people seek for waters in natural love. And so this man and that, and unsatisfied she proved to be. I'll give you water that uh, will be in you a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And she responded, didn't she? And she went back to her village and you remember what she said, don't you? Come and see a man. Come and see a man. A lady of men. She said, come and see a man who told me. (laughs) Who told me. Wonderful, isn't it? Come and see a man. Ah, Lord. Help me to be a man like you. I haven't been a man like you. Slowly, slowly I come. Amen. So that through my spirit, in communion with your spirit, in me, through the powers of my soul, and coming out through my body, through the powers of my mind and imagination, will come you, your word. That's what you, your prayer's got to be, hasn't it? Spirit in communion with his spirit. Oh, the wonder how the spirit loves to have you, your mind, You know, the church we were at up in Reading, there was about seven doctors in the church. Maybe six. One of them was a good friend of Hazel and I. And uh, she would say to us sometimes, she'd come round and chat, and she would say sometimes how she was so aware of her heart being prompted in certain directions in her diagnoses or the words she would say to some of her patients that would come. She said, uh, she didn't use these words, but I'm a co-worker with God. (laughs) That's right. And I think of another man in that church, and he was a businessman, and still is, and I think he owned 40 or 50 businesses. And he would come round, And we would pray together and he would say, the Lord is showing me who to employ, showing me what business things to take on. He was a co-worker with God. He's learning in his business. 
And he was well known in that business for caring for the hundreds of employees that he had. And I remember talking to some of his managers in Dublin and other parts of the country where he had, and, and they, they never had a bad word to say about him. And I'll tell you what some of the young women said to me. Oh, he cares for us. And he, I phoned him, what have you done about the COVID? He said, well, I furloughed so many, it's broken my heart. That's what he said to me on the phone. I, to put these, I hope I don't have to put anyone off permanently. But this is it. This is, and he has, he has knowledge. He knew, he, he, God would give him knowledge. And it's wonderful. Well, I hope I've helped a bit. And I want to open my heart to the Lord again, talking this way, and just say, Lord, thank you it's not ten o'clock, it's only nine. (laughs) Hallelujah. Dear Lord, dear, dear Lord. Oh, Father, thank you for your mercies to us. Thank you for working in all our hearts, old and young. Oh Lord, help us to be strengthened so that we can let our self-made shackles go. So that we can rise with Christ into the life that you've purchased for us, dear Lord, by your death and burial. You've bought us with a price so that we can glorify you in our bodies. Oh Lord, will you take what's of use, Lord, in what's being said in these days, in these meetings? Will you... Will you make it matter for prayer? Will you make it revelation to those you want it to be revelation to? Will you, dear, dear Father, quicken your word? Send it where you will. We think of that swag man by the billabong, Lord, and reading that message from afar that came from your heart and passing into your life and becoming that preacher in Melbourne. Oh, Father, how wonderful are your ways. We are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works. Thank you. Here we are, Lord. Here's, here's our, our life, spirit, soul and body. May they be wholly sanctified to your use. Wholly sanctified. Here are our minds. Oh Lord, drive out the complaints and the anxieties as we look at Christ. Your spirit causes us to look at Christ. And there's healing there. 
for our fears. There's healing in his face. So here we are, Lord. Oh, Father, give to our eyes refreshing tears. Give to our hearts chaste, hallowed fires. Oh, Lord, give to our souls with filial fears. Oh, all the hope that inspires heaven. Here we are, Lord. We bless you. Oh, help us to carry your blessed presence with us wherever we go. Help us not to allow this old world to sort of tarnish it. Help us to be washed day by day from the dirt we pick up in in our soul's feet. Lord, oh Lord, so that we can be (coughs) clean day by day. Ah, Lord. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Oh, Father. And all my heart cries, Father. All my heart cries, Father. Father, I love you more and more. Out of the fullness of my heart, Father, I worship you. Amen. That's our hearts, Lord. We, we're not supposed to all sing it, even if we knew it, Lord. But we mean it, Lord. That's what you do. You fill our hearts, like Mark was saying this morning. You fill our hearts with your fullness. Thank you.